Uh, and we are going to be wrapping up our series today on the unseen war. The, we've been doing a series of teachings on the uh, studies in spiritual warfare. And today we are going to be considering the enemy as our accuser. Now I want to just begin by really reminding us what we've established thus far, and that is that the Bible teaches us that life is a battleground, not a playground. That behind life's difficulties, there is both natural and supernatural evil at work. Evil itself is multidimensional. That there is evil inside of me. This is what we call sin. Uh, that we have missed the mark. That there is a fundamental brokenness. That we are made in the image of God, but that image is fundamentally marred uh, in every arena. And this is what we mean by total depravity. It's not that you're incapable of good. It's just even the good that you do is mixture. There is evil outside of us. We see this in the news every day. The, the terrible things that happen in our world, uh, the, the trauma, the, 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 the poison uh, that, is, that is breathed into uh, this particular time in which we live, uh, and we are amazed at the capacity for evil in this world. But then there is, as we believe as Christians, there is evil above us, or I would say all around us, that is supernatural. And as we have considered, as Paul the Apostle writes in Ephesians, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, what we've considered throughout this series is, is how there is this personal evil, this enemy, dominions of darkness, the devil and his angels that are at play in this world, and we are told that the world is under the devil's sway, that he is the ruler of this age, uh, and that the entire world lies under his influence. Now, I have avoided purposefully the more sensational side of spiritual warfare in regards to Satanism or witchcraft, demonic possession, or any direct spiritual experiences. Though they are real, and I would argue more common than one might think, they are not the primary way in which the enemy works against us. We must not become distracted by the sensational and lose sight of the normal field of demonic activity. Remember what we considered in the first week, that Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies, and that lying is his native language. C.S. Lewis warns us against losing sight of the subtle attacks of the enemy when he says that indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. In other words, the primary work of the enemy in our lives is to cause us to function or to allure us to function uh, in independence from our Creator. It is the enemy's subtle methods that distort and destroy our lives. In fact, you will probably never have 
a wizard cast a spell on you. However, I am positive that I did have a wizard cast a spell on me at Powell's Books downtown a few years back when I was reading a Bible in the, in the, the religious section in a, this man in all black with long black hair and really long fingernails brings over a book of like some weird spells book that I thought was locked up in cases there. Uh, and he began to read in some foreign language at me while staring at me. And I'm like, dang it, I think that guy put a spell on me. <laughs> We've considered the enemy as our deceiver, but last week we considered him as the tempter. And that temptation itself is not a sin, but that it is, that it is desires, God-given desires, that, that have been blown out of proportion. And the temptation is to act upon those God-given urges in the wrong, at the wrong time in the wrong way, in ways that actually do damage to our souls. In other, way, in other words, it's what Augustine referred to as disordered affections. It's taking created things and making them supreme things. It's putting our own egos upon the throne of our hearts rather than King Jesus. And so the temptation that comes from the enemy is to act upon that which we are already prone to act upon in our fallen bodies and minds. But today we're going to consider the devil as the accuser. And I want to begin with this passage right here. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, it says, Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Notice that. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Notice that. Satan is the accuser of God's children. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And then I want you to note this. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. I stated last week that Augustine refers to Satan as a wounded dog. On the cross of Calvary, we are told that Satan himself was defeated that he who had the power of death, which is the devil, was destroyed through the atoning work of Christ. But Satan wants to keep that reality from our mind because he is the accuser. And we're told here in Scripture that he actually stands before God bringing accusations against God's children directly to the throne of God, to the throne of God himself. 
We see that in, in Job. We see it in Zechariah. But I don't want us to focus in on that because I think that that is not anything we need to concern ourselves with because Jesus has defeated the devil. And I'm positive that any accusation that Satan brings to God about you or about me, God is A, not surprised by nor worried about because we must remember the beautiful promise of Scripture that Christ Jesus came to die for sinners of whom I am chief. So this is how I play it out in heaven. The devil's like, did you see what Josh did? And, and God's like, why are you still here? <laughs> of course I saw what he did. And that is why I sent my son. You see, what I want us to be able to understand today is that the enemy condemns and kills. But the Spirit of God convicts and comforts. The enemy points us to ourselves, wants us to focus in on our own brokenness, wants us to focus in on our own, on our faults and our weaknesses, wants us to focus inward. But the Spirit points us to Jesus. As Robert Murray McShane said, for every one look you take into your own heart, take ten looks to Christ. See, accusation can be a counterfeit of conviction. And true conviction of the Spirit of God is meant to lead us to repentance, which is due to the kindness of God, not the condemnation of the devil. So we're going to consider accusation from three angles. The first is this, is that Satan, the great accuser, the dragon, the serpent of old, brings accusations to us against God. You remember what happened in the garden? We considered this in great detail. The serpent comes to Eve and through his temptation brings this accusation against God. God knows that in that day you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The great lie and the great accusation is that they were like God. They were in the image of God without sin. Satan was lying about God, saying God is actually withholding from you. God is not as good as you think he is. Planting those seeds of doubt that God is not to be trusted. Martin Luther declared in the spring of 1533, I finished reading this book called Table Talk, which is a collection of Luther's musings over food and beer. The guy was like a real Portlander. His wife made him beer. That just sounds like Portland today. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and Luther loved to share kind of his theological reflections with people over dinner. And, and there, in this one conversation, he says, the devil has no better way to conquer us than by leading us away from the word and the spirit. The devil has no better way of conquering us than leading us away from the word and away from the spirit of truth. And he does that through his deceptive spirit. Luther was very, very suspicious of supernatural uh, leanings of people who put their emphasis in their, in their trust in their subjective experience if it wasn't grounded in Scripture. 
And what the enemy wants to bring accusations against God to us about is, is he wants to diminish uh, God's character and he definitely wants us to diminish his word. And I think about how this has played out in today's culture, in the, in the climate in which we live. Because remember what I said, the entire world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And what is the world's primary attack when it comes to Christianity? It's a continual attack upon whether or not the scriptures are trustworthy or whether they're just these archaic collections of letters that paint for us a picture about humanity that is not enlightened. In fact, often the attacks upon the scriptures and their authority and their trustworthiness, it's almost never upon the cross because the cross is is the center of power. In fact, the enemy's primary goal there is to keep that from our minds and to get us to focus on the impossibility of the ethics of the kingdom of God, which are an impossibility without the cross and without the finished work of Jesus. And so our culture focuses in on those peripheral issues around how one ought to live. And so they'll poke at the ethics of our sexuality. The, they'll poke at at idea, scriptural ideas around gender. They'll, the focus is always these attacks on the easy, the low-hanging fruit. They, they'll poke at the supposed miracles. They'll, they'll poke at all of these different things that, that as long as we're not focusing on Jesus and the cross. And I think that this is one of the enemy's great works within our culture. And what it does is it creates a tremendous amount of fear in God's people. We feel like we do not have the ability to defend what it is that we believe as Christians that the only way to follow Jesus is to surrender the scriptures. And the only way for us to be acceptable and not be repugnant to modern sensibilities is to actually collapse on our orthodoxy. I can love Jesus, but I don't have to believe, you know, what the church has believed. Clearly, that's out of vogue. When was Jesus ever in vogue? I mean, really, you can say, well, there was a time when the Catholic Church ran the Western world. That doesn't mean that everyone was about Jesus. And so I think that what we need to understand is this. I was thinking about this because these are the kinds of ways that the enemy brings accusations against God and it begins to overwhelm us and we feel like we don't have an answer, that we don't have truth, and that the best thing to do is actually trust our subjective experience. And our subjective experience usually is kind of underwhelming, isn't it? And so we lose sight of how it is that God guides us. We can't have guidance from the Spirit without the Scripture. We need to be a people that are balanced in word and spirit. It was written, all true guidance from God is in harmony with the scriptures. The understanding of the will of God by the mind depends upon the mind being saturated with the knowledge of the written word. We need to be a people of the word filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't understand the word apart from the spirit. We can know it, but it's a dead book in your hand, as I've said again and again, without the spirit of God within us. All revelation of Jesus comes to us from Jesus, but we must yield to that. 
I think that one of the ways that we kind of fall into the trappings where God, where the enemy brings the accusations against God is that we start looking at the very, the very realities of our culture and the people that we meet. We meet good people that don't know Christ and we, we start struggling with the goodness of God. Is it really, is it, is it, is it really true, Lord, that, that, that you won't accept certain behavior? Is it true, God, that, you don't, that you, you're not okay with this or that? Listen, that's the wrong question. Darcy and I lived next door to this couple, uh, Lewis and Johnny. Johnny passed away a few years ago, and this was during the beginning of Door of Hope. And I remember I would meet with people, I'd do my pastoral meetings on our front porch. And Lewis, is, he is a very confrontational man. They're this, this elderly gay couple, and they've been in Portland, long-term Portland. And Lewis had grown up in a very conservative Mormon home, and he had gone through a very abusive reprogramming by the Mormon church in Utah before coming out to Portland. Um, uh, it, was, it was amazing living next door to him uh, because... I remember when he heard me one day, I, I got the sense that he was outside when I was doing this pastoral meeting. I prayed for someone. And after they left, he walks over to the fence and he goes, what do you do? <laughs> and I go, I'm a pastor. And then he just folded his arms and he goes, do you think I'm an abomination? That is not the starting question that anybody wants to begin with. And so I, I, I paused for a second and I said, yeah, yeah, but I think I am too. I think everybody is without Jesus. And he goes, I don't know what to say to that. I need to think about it. And then <laughs> the next day began a long conversation where I'm like, I'm like, Lewis, my, my wife's only sibling died of AIDS. My best friend was gay in high school. What do, you, what do you think the gospel's about? What do you think Christianity's about? And the willingness to engage him where he was at and look him in the eyes and say, this I know for sure. Everybody is more broken than they're willing to admit. That everyone is sinful in need of a savior. And one of the things that Satan wants us to not believe in more than anything else is actually original sin. If he can get rid of sin, he gets rid of the cross. If he gets rid of the cross, he wins. Because the only victory we have over the enemy is the cross. When we come to the reality that none of us are any better than anyone else, that we are all fundamentally lost and broken without Christ. This doesn't mean that Christ wants to leave us in our sin, but I think we start focusing on the peripherals and we lose sight of the gospel. The accusations against God as a means of distracting us from what is central, which is what everybody in the world needs is Jesus Christ lifted up. Salvation from our lost condition. He knows our relationship with God is central. Therefore, doubts about the trustworthiness of him and his scriptures is, is key in his attacks upon God's children. It destroys everything. And I watch churches all the time, church leaders. It's like they cannot reconcile the realities uh, that, that the world is, is fundamentally under the sway of the wicked one, and they think that what they have to do is actually, instead of looking at culture through the lens 
of Scripture and submitting to the beauty and the authority and the goodness of Jesus. Instead, they tried to reshape the Scriptures and the likeness of culture to make Jesus somehow more adaptable, more, more acceptable for our sensibilities. And you know what the lost world thinks of that? They don't care because there's no power in it. They don't want anything to do with it. You think that, that, that somehow like reducing the offensive level is going to make people drawn to Jesus? Listen, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation. Period. I think we need to be far less concerned with, uh, I think we should be far more concerned with people having no opinion about us. No opinion about our faith because it's not maybe making the difference that we want to believe that it is. When we hold tenaciously to the truth of who Jesus is, to his scripture filled with his spirit, that is a threat to the enemy. And this is how we fight his accusations against God that come into our hearts and minds. Secondly, he brings accusations against one another. Not only does he want us to doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's scripture, to, to release our, our belief in the, in the gospel, to diminish our view of sin and brokenness, but he loves to then, if he can diminish our vision of sin, if he can diminish our understanding of the scriptures, it will inevitably lead to the next reality, which is it's very easy then for him to bring accusations to our minds against others. Because if we forget that people are sinners, we will always be surprised when they sin. And this is why his accusations that he brings against, against others into our minds, we don't think of this as a work of the enemy, but this is what he does. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, little premise, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that they're to the church that is allowing a, a, a young man that they know is sleeping with his own stepmother to continue to participate in fellowship in the church. And Paul's like, hey, this is not good for the community of faith. It's not good for the witness of the church. And, and keep in mind, when Paul's writing these letters, the churches were, you know, it's probably a small church where every person is probably known and it is a significant issue. I mean, imagine like me continuing to minister and everyone knew I was having an affair. That out of context could be a really dangerous statement, what I just said, but, uh, but <laughs> like that would be a really horrible snippet. I'm having an affair. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's the reality. This is what Paul is addressing. He said, listen, that cannot happen. You, you, you've got to put this man out of fellowship. And what he says, he goes, give his body over to Satan. That is, give him over to the world that his soul might be saved. The purpose of the correction, the discipline, is to bring about repentance and to bring about reconciliation. That's always the goal of godly correction. And in, in, in 2 Corinthians, it's clear that this man has repented. And he's trying to come back into the community. And look what it's stated. It says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. This gives us incredible insight into the way that the enemy uses accusations against one another. He loves to sow suspicion and beguilement toward one another 
And this is easy to do since we are sinful. He often shows us the truth about a person, but he leaves out the grace required to live. In other words, it's not hard if you live closely to anyone to see how screwed up they are. You can find a problem with anyone. No place is this played out more perfectly than in marriage. I've been married for 22 years. I've been with my wife for 23. It is amazing the way that, that the enemy plays on this pattern where he will show my, he will remind my wife of everything she already knows about me. Many of the things that actually made her fall in love with me, but also are the things that drive her absolutely crazy. My spontaneity, my endless energy. I mean, like, I remember the way that the enemy was accusing her, uh, accusing me to her in New York when she said, I don't know what's worse, the energy of New York or the energy of you in New York. <laughs> Satanic. <laughs> Uh, but I think that this is the thing is the enemy plays on that as if she's surprised by that but she was surprised by that and and as if I'm surprised that 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 kind of pace and energy exhausts my wife and and why would I be surprised that 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 for her for like and so here's the accusation why does she always have to be a killjoy why is she why doesn't she want to have fun why wouldn't she want to just not sleep for 48 hours it's so unreasonable and and then Jesus is like you're you're on a spectrum Josh but you need to relax <laughs> But I think that this is the enemy will play us against each other. It's the accusation. See, she's, she's being uptight. See, he's being careless. And you know what? Our extreme temperaments can make those statements true about one another. It's not the question of whether or not me getting really, really intense can make my wife really, really pensive. No, the question is, is do we have the grace to cover one another in the reality of our own fundamental brokenness? Isn't that what Keller meant when he said that everybody marries the wrong person? <laughs> is that there, there is no right person. We're broken, sinful people that need to function in the light of grace. The enemy likes to keep grace from our minds and help us focus. He's, he's a liar only in, 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 this is the thing, he's the best liar because he focuses in on truth, but he withholds facts. C.S. Lewis says, isn't it funny how mortals always picture us in screw tape letters coming from the perspective of a demon. Isn't it funny how mortals always picture us as putting things in their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Notice Division is Satan's business in the church. Secondly, look at in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Listen, guys, one of the only places I've actually experienced legitimate, supernatural, like exorcist-level evil was through a young woman who knew Jesus but had buried anger to the point of hatred toward her father for something he had done to the family. And myself and Tim Mackey and many other actually witnesses that were a part of this community actually experienced this firsthand. This is stuff like where I would have probably went in a skeptic, I came out a believer that the devil is alive and that there are powers that go beyond human explanation. 
But here was the fascinating thing is that when there was a deliverance for her, uh, through, uh, we immediately followed up in a series of conversations and what was revealed is that actually what had happened is, is that there was anger and, and a spirit of unforgiveness that had been pushed down and never dealt with that led to years of severe eating disorders, suicidal tendencies, and ultimately complete and total demonic oppression in one evening before God fully delivered her and she experienced, and the deliverance wasn't when we prayed over her and that presence left the room, which was, I don't even like to talk about it. It was actually when she confessed her anger and accepted forgiveness and gave forgiveness and believed that she really was beloved and believed, as I love what Gary said to her, um, Gary Brashear said, you are a princess of the most high God. And he kept saying it to her again and again and again until she broke down weeping because the enemy had so sowed lies into her mind and given so much accusation that she fell beneath the absolute oppress oppressive reality of him as the great accuser. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. James says, yes, there is righteous indignation, but essentially what he's saying is we as fallen human beings never function in anger very well. We need to be in the business of grace, not guilt. We need to be in the business of God's agape love, not in the business of pointing fingers and blaming, because we never need to look very far from our own lives to see that the accusations that we place upon others, usually we can find those same problems within ourselves. I think that it's, that it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing for us to really take gauge in our own lives of like where have we held on to bitterness some of you might be holding on to anger. Some of you have hold on to these false ideas, these accusations where you, maybe you've elevated someone up higher than you should have and they are failing you miserably and you're surprised by it. You think your kids should be doing better than they are. You think your spouse should be more awesome than your spouse is. Man, do I need to remind you that God looks down from heaven to see if there is anyone who understands and he comes up with nothing. Praise God for Jesus. Remember what I said. Without Jesus, everything Satan says about us is true. And it is true. Satan is in the business of bringing accusations against one another. Release it. Finally, he brings accusations directly against us. And just so you know, he's usually doing all of these things at once. He brings accusations against God, he brings accusations against others, and he's accusing you all at the same time. And this is why many of us, even myself included, as your pastor, uh, which I know the expectation is that the pastor is the enlightened one. Man, if that is your expectation, you are in the wrong church. Uh, I wake up every day feeling like an absolute fraud. And then I just give it to Jesus at the cross because that's the only thing one can do with feelings like that. Accusations against us directly. 
Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice James gives us the method of how to actually fight those accusations that God, that the enemy brings against us. And that is, it's not a battle the enemy head to head. Jesus teaches us, keep us from the evil one. We are no, we, we, he, we are no match. Uh, we, we, we can't handle his attacks. Jesus alone, through the victory of the cross, with the words, it is finished, is the victor. And it is only as we are in him, submitted to him. Submission is the key to all Christian victory. Submission is a total surrender. It actually gives us a more robust understanding of what faith is. Faith or submission to Christ is allowing Christ to be Christ for us, in us, and through us, what we cannot be for ourselves. And this is why the devil enjoys accusing us of things that God has already forgiven us for. He accuses us with our past regrets. God can never forgive me for that. I struggled with that when I first became a believer. I constantly, I prayed every day to receive Jesus into my life as a personal savior, probably for like a year and a half before I then felt guilty for praying again and again. You know, it's funny, I've shared with you guys many times the stories about my father, Alexander, who lives outside of Soldatna, lifelong alcoholic, chain smoker, extraordinaire. Uh, he, is, he lives alone. Actually, now he's got someone living, basically stealing from him, but he's so, he doesn't like to be lonely, so he's allowing people to live in his house. They're just taking advantage of my father as he's dying, and I'm trying right now to get him into a, a transitional housing. But here's the good news. Al White, I have been, I just went and spent a week with him last year on Christmas. I, I sat with him every day. I talked with him about Jesus. I shared the gospel with him. But he had this weird understanding of the gospel and I discovered that it was through this chaplain that's been talking to my dad for the three years that he's been in and out of the ER, which literally at this point, he goes in, he's in the hospital again right now. Um, I talked to him two days ago. And the chaplain told me that my dad said that he prayed to receive Christ. And so I brought it up with my dad. I said, Dad, what's, what's the deal? Is that true? I go, the chaplain said that you prayed to receive Jesus, but that you were worried it, it didn't stick. <laughs> and uh, he, goes, he goes, yeah. He started laughing. And I, I go, he goes, you know, I don't know, son. I it doesn't seem like one could ever really figure that out, huh? And I go, you know what? That's probably the most honest human thing that one could say. I'm like, no, you're never going to figure it out. And I'm like, what's the, I go, I go what, are you, what are you concerned about? And, the, and it's this. He sits alone and he feels my dad has had all mobility taken from him. He's on the verge of death. He's probably going to die within the next year. And he knows it. And he told me, he goes, I'm scared, son. He goes, your dad's tough but I've been a little scared lately. And he, he can't breathe. He has really chronic COPD. And he's had heart attacks and strokes. And he's not even, he said he's barely drinking now because his body, he just can't even handle drinking. And he's really frustrated that he can't smoke without having a cough attack. Uh, and he's like, he goes, yeah, I, I think, I, I think, I, think I, I need help now. I'm like, whoa. Whoa, 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 Al White, here we are. I mean, I'm like, what have we been holding on for? <laughs> you need help a long time ago, but that's okay. We're just glad that you're here. And I'm like, 
Jesus loves you. And he goes, I believe that. And then he said to me, he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. He goes, uh, he goes I, you know, I like to call him the big feller. <laughs> and then he asked me if that was okay. And I'm like, I think it's great. I'm like, as long as you started with Jesus, I think he, you know, I think nicknames are really sweet. I think the big feller is, is fun. He goes, I don't, that's what I, when I think about him, I just think of him as the big feller. <laughs> and I'm like, dad, man, you know, the thing that my dad experiences that is experiencing now is the very thing that we continue to experience even in our health. And we need to understand this is that Satan wants to continue to accuse us that we're, there's, we're not worthy of salvation. That, that my dad's like, well, I can't even do anything. I can't do anything. That's, you're actually in the perfect place to truly understand the gospel because you can't do anything. It's actually more dangerous to think that you actually are doing something that is earning it. Luther always said that Satan's greatest work in the church is actually to confuse our understanding of law and gospel. And Satan wants us to keep us focused on the idea that the gospel is a ladder that we have to climb to prove our worth. Listen, that is not the case. The devil wants to accuse you of things that God has already forgiven you of. And you know what that is? Everything. It says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All sin has been taken care of on the cross, past, present, and the future. Why then do we confess sin if it's already been forgiven? We confess it because it keeps us in the light. It keeps us humble before our king because, yes, he has saved us from sin, but unfortunately, we still find ourselves sinning. And therefore, we need to be a community that continues to step into the light because not only does he accuse us of what, of what we have already been forgiven of, he wants us to continue to accuse us of, of reoccurring patterns of sin. This is one of the things that I think Satan gets me the most is I get so frustrated when I fail my wife or fail my kids with the same stinking patterns that I've been struggling with my whole life. And he says, oh, you know, see, if you really had the Spirit of God, you would overcome that. I mean, aren't we called to be overcomers? And that's true, that we are overcomers. But what does that mean, though? What do you mean by that? As you sit and listen to me, think about that, because some of you are struggling with patterns. And I'm not trying to give you an excuse for perpetual patterns of sin in one's life. I do believe that God is a holy God. His love meets us in our sinfulness, but his holiness demands that, that there's transformation. That is that he's not content to leave us there. His love is purifying. That doesn't mean we're gonna have total victory. I do not agree or believe on any level in Wesley's idea of Christian perfectionism. That the idea of one climbing their way to heaven. No, God's gospel is always down to earth. And the only thing that motivates transformation in one's life is to know that nothing can shake the foundation. That's the only thing. And there are certain things that are going to continue to plague you. Think about a guy like my dad. He can't stop drinking without it killing him. So what does the transformation look like for Al White in the last nine months of his life? or whatever time he has, I don't, at this point I'm starting to think he'll outlive me. Um, 
But the reality is, is that there's a short, you know, I think that grace becomes a necessity when one is past the ability of doing anything. But I think we should all live with that sort of comprehension that we're all past doing anything for our salvation. That's why Luther said, God doesn't need your works, your neighbor does. Your salvation, your standing in Christ is secure. The enemy wants you to function in independence rather than dependence upon Jesus. Submit yourself therefore to God and you will resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice the resistance is found through the daily surrender. The surrender comes because we know we're broken and we can't exist without Jesus' power. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means that a confession coming into the light is that daily putting ourselves in a position of surrender to Jesus. You see, he wants us to think more about our sin than what Jesus did about that sin. He wants us to become so focused on our failure that we lose sight of the Savior. And this is why it says in Romans 8, verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once again, there is therefore no what? Condemnation. The liar, the enemy, the devil speaks condemnation into our lives. But it is the kindness of God through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads us to change. A change of direction, a change of mind. There is new power, new authority when one finds himself surrendered to God's goodness, to his grace to the fact that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is why I loved being able to tell my dad that Jesus is stickier than his doubts. That's the gift of the gospel. See, if you are serving, he attacks your worthiness. He points out the inconsistencies and your failings. He likes to accuse us of our progress. He likes to say, you're too sinful to be used. You don't know enough. And all we have to say to all of these attacks and all of these accusations is, it's true. But it's not true about Jesus, and I'm in him, and he's in me. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I bring this to a close by just simply declaring these things to you guys. The Satan is in the business of accusation. He likes to stand before God and like a nag, points at all the ways that you fail and God just simply nods his head. It's like a big so what? Because all he does is point to Jesus and say my son has already taken care of it. And he loves to, to, to bring accusations against God to us. And he, he likes to say, hey, listen, God is harsh. God is not good. God does not have your best. God is archaic. And all we need to be reminded of once again is we just point to Jesus and say, if that is what God is like, I will bow the knee every day. And he loves to bring accusations against others and he says, they are a failure. And all we have to say is, yep, and so am I. And this is why we all need Jesus. And when he brings his accusations against you, 
you can say it's all true, but in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. There is no condemnation. We need Jesus, we need the cross, we need the gospel every day. May Satan and his defeat continue to be a reality as you walk in the victory of Christ Jesus. If you're experiencing attack, it's probably because you're being useful. If we're not experiencing attack as a community, maybe we're not preaching the gospel. I've been experiencing nothing but attack, so I don't know, it's kind of encouraging and a little discouraging all at the same time. And so may we continue to advance the gospel and submit to our King as we resist Him, resist the devil, He will flee from us as we cling to Jesus with everything that's in us. Amen.